Hello and welcome to Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories. This is the podcast where I sit down with a special guest to share their inspiring story, journeys and thoughts along the way. So sit back and enjoy. In this month's episode, I will be talking to Gemma Harrison about being visually impaired in honour of World Sight Day which was October the 13th this year. World Sight Day was initiated by the Lions Club International Foundation during their Sight First campaign in an effort to spread awareness about preventable blindness and help people who are visually impaired. From our first meeting, I was inspired by Gemma's story, which has been filled with trials and tribulations, and she just has this incredible motivation for winning at life. After being diagnosed with optic atrophy at the age of three, her adventure began navigating this condition. Today, Gemma is a mum of two lovely girls and works for a company as a software tester. She constantly shows resilience and motivation despite her optic atrophy, which I'm intrigued to hear more about. And together, we can hopefully raise more awareness about the condition. And here's the show. So, hi Gemma, thank you so much for coming in, welcome. Thank you for discussing your condition with us today. So tell us a little bit more about you. When you found out about your condition, were you born with it or was it developed later on in life? Tell us your story. Hello, (laughs) thanks for having me. So... My story is I was born with a condition called optocatrophy. When I was uh, just either two or three, my mum took me to the opticians because I kept falling over and bumping into things. And I was diagnosed at two or three with optocatrophy. It wasn't something that was new news to her. She was waiting for it to come because her dad had it and my brother had it, as well as other various members of the family. So that's how I found out about it. Oh, wow. So your eldest brother has it too. Yes. So, And you mentioned other members of your family that have it. So does that mean it's genetic? Can yes, you, so can it's you, genetic, yeah. Can you pass it on to the kids? Yes. You've got so, Jessica and Ella, have Yes, you? so um, I can pass it on to the children. Um, they're both being tested for it and they'll be monitored because whilst I was born with it and my brother was born with it, my mum then developed it. Mm-hmm. So she has the gene, but it didn't come out until she was a lot older. So she was in her 60s oh, wow. when she found out she had it. So whilst we could be, they could have, they, they could be okay now, moving forwards, yeah, they could develop it. Um, mm. it, it all depends on whether they got the gene. So we're actually going through genetic testing at the moment for it. So they'll oh. find out if they have the gene and then if they then pass it on. It's so interesting. It's really interesting. So did your mum cope with having the condition all through her life and then didn't no. realise until she was in her 60s? Uh, no. So the fibre optic nerve, which is what is damaged, the optic nerve's damaged. Mm. I was born with it because mine didn't actually form. So... The nerve is made up of loads of tiny, like, little bits of... If you imagine, like, a piece of cotton. Yeah. It's loads of different bits of nerve endings that go from your brain to your eye, and it sends the signals through. Mine were frayed, whereas my mum's frayed over time, so she didn't actually have the condition until Mm -hmm. she was in her 60s. So they frayed over time, whereas I was... Mine never actually formed in the first place. 
Right, I see. So that's about the conditions. Tell us more about optic atrophy then. Yeah, a bit more about it. So um, optic atrophy is basically the damage to your optic nerve. Yeah. So the nerve sends the um, signals from your brain to your eyes, but because they're frayed, it's distorted, so the vision is impaired. Yeah. Some people, there's very varying differences between it. Mine, when I was younger, wasn't as bad as what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to wear glasses when I was younger. Really? It's only as I've got older. Mm-hmm. Um, because my eyesight in itself was fine. My brother doesn't wear glasses. But wow. if you were to see him reading or something, you would know that the, he had a visual impairment because he's so close to um, oh. like the, either the paper or the screen or whatever he's looking at. So there's lots of different forms. It's one, it affects one in 35,000 people worldwide. Randomly in Denmark, it's a lot less. It's one in every 10,000. So there's more common in in Denmark. Um, Interesting. They're doing studies on that. And it's something that they can't ever help. There's no surgery. There's nothing they can do. There is kind of things that they're looking at in terms of trying to help. You know, I think they're doing um, tests on things like pig's nerves and things randomly. But yeah, because that's like the kind of most thing genetically matched to the human eye but Mm -hmm. there's also different types so mine I was born with it so I've got type 1 optic atrophy and there's another type as well which you can get if you have some sort of like a brain tumor and it puts pressure on the nerve Mm -hmm. that can cause you to have it as well there's other neurological issues as well that can cause it so you can have it if you get a a medical condition as you're older so you know anybody could get it Mm. effectively but mine's type 1. So there's no treatment as such. No. You can't have the laser eye surgery like some people have, don't they, to help correct yeah. their vision. Mm-hmm. And then what about glasses? Because you say you didn't wear them when you were younger and your brother yeah. doesn't, but no. you do wear them now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so how my, does I, that work? So not only did my optic atrophy deteriorate, we think, yeah. they don't go, they lost my files, but um, the, right. my eyesight deteriorated. So, so is that a different thing altogether in yeah. a way then? <laughs> oh my goodness. So I had to be monitored every six months when I was little until I was 18. So I went to the eye hospital, I had drops every six months, and they monitored whether or not my condition was worsening between, you know, being kind of diagnosed until I was 18. And my brother went through the same. And then once you're 18, you're kind of left to your own devices. And my brother, he kind of went off and did his career, which didn't need to use things like computers and technology and things like that. Whereas I went into working on computers, working in different places in insurance. Mm. And um, in doing so, my eyesight deteriorated which meant I then right. had to wear glasses so I for some reason I thought it was an actual similar condition as just having poor eyesight I didn't realize it was a separate sort of condition altogether yeah so that's something I've learned today yeah Gemma thank you so I mean I obviously wear glasses and not being able to see I do find quite isolating if I've forgotten to put them on in the morning or if I've walked down walked down the street and my friends wave to me from across the street I can't see them and they often laugh at me for that only in a light-hearted way but I do remember when I first met you and I used to catch your eye and I didn't know about your condition and I used to try and wave at you or smile and then you might not have acknowledged me and I thought oh does she remember me or maybe she doesn't like me or maybe she's just been a bit rude or maybe she's in a bad mood or something so but now obviously I know about your condition I would go up to you at a closer distance (laughs) to say hello to you and you always say hello back and you're a very sociable person you're probably the organizer of the year group actually aren't you (laughs) so that's nice but how has that affected 
like your relationships and your friendships in the past have you found that's happened a lot when people try to acknowledge you yeah I find it quite difficult I think especially as I've got older to kind of make more friends Mm. purely because I can't necessarily see people so people do think that I you know can come across quite rude (laughs) and I mean I couldn't see my own husband or my own child in a playground like it's quite that bad Um, and I wouldn't be able to recognize them or kind of pinpoint which one they are but if it's somebody that's kind of like across the road and I get to know them and I get to know their walk and I get to know their kind of like their appearance and their shape I can kind of guess so it's similar to like writing like a shop front I wouldn't be able to see what the writing is but you get to learn the shape and the style of things so you can kind of figure out what things are so yeah it's it's been quite difficult in the past because people do think like she's so rude I've been waving to her from the other side I'm like I, I don't even I haven't got a clue but there's been other people in the past where I've waved at people and they're, they're like who is that because I don't actually know them and I think it's somebody else so there's been quite a few comical things me and my brother went to the races a few years ago and we were by ourselves and it was my brother that's got the condition and um, we were walking around smelling some um, food some hot dogs and we were starving and we both walked into a um, a complete window Ne- oh, no. neither of us we were just walking to the smell of hot dogs and we both went and smashed into the window I should so, um no but it, you know these, yeah. these things happen but yeah friendship groups it's um I try to make people aware as mm. soon as possible yeah so um but it's hard to kind of get into a conversation like you don't want to be like hi I'm Gemma by the way I'm blind like, yeah <laughs> right on your first meeting yeah because I remember you told us when we were out yeah. weren't we we saw a we went to the theatre. We did go we to put the it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and then you told us in the bar, pre-theatre. Um, and it was all re- really interesting and everyone was really fascinated by it. And at least then we'd known you for a few months so you felt able to tell us. So that's great. And you've, I mean, you've always struggled with the condition and you were diagnosed at a very young age. It was three, two yeah, or three. Yeah, two or three, it? yeah. But when were you actually registered as visually impaired? January. When? 2022. This year? Yeah. But why is it taking so long then? Um, so they lost my files from when I went from um, Westbourne Eye Hospital to Bournemouth Eye Hospital. So I didn't go, after you were 18, you didn't go for appointments anymore. And then in my early 20s, I was like, my eyesight, I was getting headaches. And I was like, I don't think my eyesight's right. So I went to the opticians. Mm-hmm. They didn't know anything about optic atrophy. They'd heard of it, but they couldn't do anything for me. Mm. Um, but they had then pinpointed that I'd had a slight... Um, my eyesight had, had not necessarily deteriorated because I'd never really had that side of the eyesight done in an opticians before. So they was like, oh, you can wear glasses and they'll help, but you only really need them for using screens. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started wearing glasses. But it then went from that to then me having to go to the opticians every two years and then go to Bournemouth Hospital. And they said at Bournemouth Hospital, I had to then be referred. So that took a couple of years because you have to go through the doctors to go from opticians to doctors to hospital. Bournemouth Hospital didn't have a specialist in it. So I then had to be referred to a specialist, mm-hmm. an, op- an, op- an op- specialist ophthalmologist. Wow. Who knew, knew more about the condition. And then once they had taken photos of my optic nerve and everything, because it's really pale and that's how they know that it's damaged, I had to then wait for that to be assessed to see whether it had deteriorated. And because they'd lost my files and all the photos from when I was younger, they couldn't tell if it had. So then I had to go through a 10-year waiting process and then COVID hit. So by the time I'd said um, my eyesight had deteriorated again at the opticians, the optician said to me, you need to be registered. And yeah. this was... 
2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. But by the time my registration, had, well, by the time her referral had gone to the doctors and then the doctors had gone to the hospital, COVID hit. Wow. So I had a two-year wait to go to the doctors and then... So you had um, to go through the whole process. Yeah, the whole process again. All over yeah. again because your files were lost. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so they were lost in my kind of like between 18 and 20 something. And so when I went back when I was 20, in my 20s, yeah, I then had to wait 10 years. So mid 30s and then the whole process has taken another five years nearly just to kind of get to that point. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was registered in January, but the actual, the process of going through then all the other bits, like trying to get a disabled badge, right? Um, trying to go through the personal independent payment, yeah. that has only just happen now right I was going to say about support so have you had any support through your life I'm wondering you probably would have needed it when you were a child as well for your family so do you get support now and has anything been backdated to help you Um, missed out on that time or yeah so I've had support since I was younger from the RNIB they've been amazing like the Royal National Institute of the Blind that's a charity yeah so they've been really good since I was little so they put on things like camps and stuff like that so when I was little I used to go to those kind of things and then as I've got older if I've ever had any issues I've kind of contacted them so my work's always been aware so I've got adaptions on my work laptops and monitors and things like that brilliant but it was the having to prove that was the hard part that I'm registered partially sighted despite the fact I've got the certificate from the ophthalmologist. Yeah. So that's been a really hard thing to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's difficult, um, but I've managed and I just have to make adaptions. So yeah. And what's, I remember you saying about being registered outside, but not inside. Yes. Yeah, so, what's that about? Um, I was awarded personal independent payment for mobility because they, um, can um, understand that I have problems with travel and, and things like that. So yeah. I'm okay walking around kind of the local area, not necessarily by myself and it's dark. Right. So in the winter times, it's a bit difficult, you know, because it gets dark at like four o'clock. Yeah. Just mainly things like tree stumps, curbs, I'm falling down them, I'm tripping up, like mm-hmm. tripping up with bags of shopping in my hands <laughs> and all sorts. So that's why I was awarded it. And things like travel, if I go to a train station, I could probably get from here to Paul actually did that recently with somebody from a research company and we had so many hiccups i bought the wrong tickets i couldn't see the screens on the ticket machines um goodness the gap between me getting on the train the train was late i couldn't see it was late because i can't see the boards because they're so high up (laughs) then i didn't realize that you had to be on the first three coaches and i was going to pull and then it stopped at bournemouth and told you you had to get off so i had to get off and then i didn't know where the three coaches were (laughs) so i'm running through bournemouth and then we went to pool and um yeah it was fun but that's why I was awarded mobility but um I've been declined again for personal independent payment at home Mm. because they they think that I can because I don't have any kind of mental health issues with it and because I don't have any pain I'm not on any medication I don't go to regular doctor's appointments so because of that they feel that I don't qualify for having the need for support in the home yeah but there's going to be adaptations that you can make inside the home that are going to make things more accessible for you surely yeah so it's, it's really simple things like I didn't realize to put on the form like I said that I could dress myself because you know can I put a foot into my jeans and my trainers yeah. yes I can but do I know if I'm putting on dirty clothes or do I know if I'm putting on something inside out the amount of times I've gone into a workplace or the shops and somebody's gone, oh, excuse me, love, like you've got your trousers and I've got yeah. like labels hanging out the Yeah, back, which you wouldn't necessarily Which I wouldn't see. necessarily yeah. like, you know, and I did it recently in Tesco's when I went swimming with the kids and I put a jumpsuit on inside out and I was walking around Tesco's and went like that and felt the label and I was like, oh, I've done it. And yeah. it's little things like that. Yeah. But um, I didn't think 
of putting that when the question is, can you dress yourself? No. Can you cook? Well, yeah, I can, you know, I can put some things into a frying pan and fry it. Mm. But actually, in reality, do I burn myself all the time? I set a scarf on fire because I was getting that close to putting the hob on that the scarf went up. Yeah. But it's things like that I didn't realise I had to put down because I just thought it was a standard question. So... It's almost like you have to put the worst case scenario yeah, and I in had it. To, I have to prove, but I've got no evidence. Yeah. So that was why they declined me again, because there was no evidence. And I said, other than showing you a picture of my burnt scarf or a burn mm. that I might get, I'm not sure what else evidence mm. I can provide, because I don't I don't go to the doctors and I'm not on medication. So, yeah. Wow. So that's crazy. I mean, let's go back to school then. I mean, you, you were saying about not being able to see the board um, at school. You had to sit close to the front. I mean, when I was at uni, I remember my eyesight deteriorating after being a child and at school, I was fine. But at uni, I could not see the board at all. But then I can't imagine being in that position all through school life, not being able to see, having to ask friends. Did you get support at school? Did you get adaptations? No, my mum made them aware as soon as I started um, mm. that I would need to be at the front. So they'd sit me at the front of the class. I think the the smaller, the younger years, you get kind of bigger writing in there just in, in general. Okay. Um, so like Ella brings home some workbooks and I can read that because that's quite big. Yeah. But um, things like reading books I struggled with. So the R&IB. And because at that point I was in the... Um, I hospital. They used to provide larger writing, like books with large writing. But the school themselves, they didn't really have any adaptations for me other than making me sit at the front of the class. That was that was all really. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, it all kind of changed and the blackboards and stuff like that. And, and some teachers were better than others, but I got to the point of relying on friends that would be, I'd be like, what does it say on the board? Wow. So I had I had a friend in maths that literally she didn't even have, I didn't even have to ask. She was like, that says that. And you, I, I grew friendships with people that just because they knew if they could see something, they'd just read it out to me. Yeah. And then the only thing I really struggled with was assemblies where they had the overhead projector and they would put it onto, you know, there's only so far in front, especially as you get older, because they start putting the older years at the oh, back I of the do. hall. Yeah. So those were the kind of things if they were putting, I wouldn't have a clue. And then you can't talk to your friend and say, what does that say? Because then yeah. they'll be like, what are you talking about? Told, you know, told, yeah. told off. Yeah. Send the OHPs. I remember those. Yeah. So why are they more difficult to see? Is it because they're smaller print? Is yes, because right? it's somebody's actual handwriting oh. as well. So it's somebody's handwriting onto a clear piece of paper. I don't even know if they use them anymore. No, probably but, not. Yeah, that and then yeah, onto a screen. Um, it just wasn't clear as well because I'm colourblind as well. So right. if they put any kind of different colour, if they put red on there, I'm not seeing it. Right. Just because of the background colours and stuff. So in terms of technology and accessing resources... Do you have to have certain fonts, certain spacing? What do you need to yeah, make it so more accessible? If I'm using a computer, I tend to kind of look at 18 font. Colours need to just be kind of like dark on, on, on what, like I usually have black on white or white on black. I don't tend to use colours like, so I was a software tester until recently. Wow. And um, I went two years testing something, not knowing that I, ha- I was colourblind. So I only found out like wow. recently that I was colourblind. Did that hinder your diagnostics? No, so... Because I was colour blind, it actually helped. Oh. Because I was like, I can't see that colour. Is that colour right? <laughs> but actually it helped doing what I was doing. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, it was that that actually made me realise that I was colour blind right. because I was like, I can't see that colour. Like somebody's like, Well that's blue and I'm like, is it? Yeah. What about the kids when you were teaching them colours when they were younger? How, no. how was that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm okay with primary colours, so the school kind of did the rest. And my mum my mum helped with the kids loads when we were younger, when they were younger, so um Yeah. Yeah, that was okay. 
How do you find other forms of technology? Say, for example, Instagram, Facebook. I do remember you putting something up on Facebook about Instagram and the text. So tell us more about how you find that inaccessible. So I love using social media um, and I can find myself lost in the dark holes. Um, <laughs> but it's been more recent over the... I don't know if that's because my eyesight's deteriorated slightly again over the last six months, but people specifically on Instagram, they're putting things like captions on, which is great, but they're putting them on in the, in the smallest font. I mean, I don't even personally, I don't think Instagram should even be putting a font that size on them. It's just not accessible to people. Mm. And it's really difficult to kind of see. And I just kind of, it makes me feel isolated, like, because I'm not, because I can't see it. I'm yeah. not allowed to be part um, of it. Yeah. Mm. No, so, and I have tried to actually privately message some influencers and just say, you know, politely, I'm really sorry to bother you, but could you please kind of use larger font? Cause it, it's really kind of isolating those with eyesight issues. But I haven't had any responses and there hasn't been any um, amendments. It's more the trend, isn't it? Mm -hmm. With having the reels, the music videos and and having like a video with music in the background. That's TikTok, isn't it? Yeah. Not that I'd go on TikTok that much. And then they might not tell a story with their dialogue, but they'll just have that small little caption at the bottom. Is that what you mean? And then obviously I can read that and people that um, are deaf can read it as well. But for people that are visually impaired, that's not going to be accessible. Yeah. Can you get assistive technology to help you with things like that? Yeah, so um, things like iOS have like something called voiceover and Android have something as well. Uh, they have another kind of voiceover technology. Okay. iOS isn't great. It's really difficult to use. Like mm. you have to kind of be trained in it to use it. But it doesn't always, it's not always, the apps aren't always made um, made to be able to use assistive technology. Right. So whilst my phone might have it, the actual app itself might not be compatible with it. I see. So yeah. it's quite difficult. And then there's probably going to be things that you can pay for, but you, why should you pay for these things when it should be accessible for all content creators should really be making these videos that yeah. are accessible, well, shouldn't they're, they? They're making them accessible in terms of putting the captions on. Right. So for those people that have got like hearing loss, yeah. they, that's you know, really great for them that they're moving yeah. forward with it. But then they put on the captions or they'll put on some content to explain what the picture's about. And I can't see. Mm. For me, there's no context because I can't. It's a picture with a hell of a load of writing on it. It's in the smallest font you could possibly see. So it's got no relevance to me. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll move on from that trend and they'll go back to actually talking (laughs) Talking to the camera. (laughs) So let's go back to accessing the curriculum at school. And you probably had lots of appointments, didn't you? Did you feel like you had to come out of school? Did you miss out on certain parts of your education did that make you feel different when you were growing up no and I think it's all dependent upon the person and the character Mm. so I didn't have any issues at school I was really open about the fact and like with you know I I tell most people yeah um, and I've got more open as I've got older that I've got a visual impairment and can they help me I had to tell somebody in Starbucks yesterday because I said what syrups have you got and she was like oh, the menu's there. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm partially excited. I can't see what's behind you right now. No. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. They are tiny, those yeah. menus, aren't they? <laughs> it's little things like that. So at school, I was really open. If I couldn't see, or I'd tell the teacher, say, I'm really sorry, I can't read that. And they might give me a printout. It was very rare, they did. But most people just kind of told me and I got on with it. 
Mm. My brother was a different story. He really struggled at school. He didn't tell anybody he had an eye condition. He went the whole way through um, senior school without anybody knowing. Wow. Um, He's very, I wouldn't say insecure. He just doesn't want people to know about it. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't tell anybody. He's He's older. older. So maybe that's to do with... Could be generational. The generational thing as well. Yeah. 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 So he really struggled in terms of, you know, he wouldn't sit at the front of the class because it's not a thing, you know when you're at school you don't want to sit at the front of the class no. you're like, oh, I back with my friends so he didn't sit at the front so he couldn't see so I, d- I don't know actually how he managed to get through school to get through yeah. wow you're probably getting to the point where you were then discussing what careers you wanted to do when you were older you went to the careers advisor looking through the handbook was there things that you wanted to do but couldn't because of your sight and if not, what has been your biggest struggle because of your site that's held you back in some way? So I wanted to be an air hostess, so I always wanted to travel. I was really lucky. My parents like took me all over the place when I was younger. Mm. So I travelled quite a lot by that by the time I was like fourteen, fifteen, I'd been to quite a, like a few tropical countries and stuff. So I really got that bug from a young age and all I wanted to do was travel and I thought I'll be an air hostess. And it wasn't until it came to looking at your options when you're in year 10, I think it is, or year 9. Yeah. And um, the college said I couldn't do it because you have to have um, perfect vision in order to, or at least wear glasses to be able to have perfect vision. I didn't know that. I thought... To be a pilot, yeah. you had to have perfect had, vision. Why would you need to, to no be an idea. air hostess as um, well? Well, I think I later found out that it was so that you could kind of, you know, if, if we were to have an accident, I'd be able to kind of see somebody. Sure. <laughs> Wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. I think see the signs and things and exit signs and things like that. Sure, um, yeah. So I think there's more to it than, yeah, than mm-hmm. that. I mean, it meant I couldn't be, if I wanted to be a nurse or a doctor, not that that was ever, ever on my kind of radar but it, that, if I had wanted to I wouldn't have been able to do jobs like that yeah so um, it's a few things just cause, so yeah. the air hostess one was something you actually really wanted to do that yeah. you couldn't yeah that must be really hard and what about driving I can't I'm not allowed to drive no, so I've even always glasses yeah no I've, mm. I've always known my glasses so when I read so you know when you go into the opticians and you've got all those letters and stuff and you've got to read them yeah. I can only read now with glasses up to the second line so right. I can see the big letter at the top and then yeah. the next the next three letters I, I can just about see. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've known my whole life I'll never be able to drive. So that's a struggle, isn't it, in terms of need to be able to travel to work on public transport? Yeah, which then brings the question, um, and which is why I was involved in a research um, recently for travel with people that have got mm. vision impairments, was that we are the people that need to use those travel, those routes into, into work, exactly. into like going into places yeah. and just being more accessible. So we're trying to work with different companies to try and make it a little bit better for a better experience for those with visual impairments. Yeah, you are the target market mm-hmm. really, aren't you, for those yeah. services? No, absolutely. Anything else that you find accessible? I'm just wondering, Gemma, about music concerts and the cinema because that's a darker lighting, isn't it? Do you find that more difficult? <laughs> it's a nightmare. So the cinema's not too bad. I can usually, I'm usually fine in the cinema. I always feel yeah. a bit spaced out in the cinema when <laughs> I so come big. out. <laughs> <laughs> the cinema is fine, especially because, well, like where we are, our cinemas are quite small. So the mm. screens are really big and the actual seating area is fine. So okay. I haven't got a problem with that. And I can always sit there at the front. And... Yeah. Well, that navigating your way through the oh, no, I can't corridors and the steps. And... No, it's hilarious. So I had to put my light on my phone okay. because the amount of times I trip up. Or I'm really good at saying to my children now, they're old enough, can you kind of like take mummy? So they'll like walk <laughs> me around. Or the people I'm with, like all my friends and my family know that I've got it. So they're really helpful with things like that. Mm-hmm. Concerts, I've only ever been to. I think take that concert when I was like 11. 
couldn't see the stage and I think that's the only concert I've ever been to so then there's no point in spending like you know 50 60 70 pounds on a ticket to go and see somebody that I can't see <laughs> yeah but that's inaccessible then is there a way of making that more accessible for the visually impaired going well, to a concert yeah so I don't know if there's areas because I've never been registered I've never been able to get a kind of disabled or disability access mm. so it might be different now I might be able to kind of get into the accessibility section but obviously, yeah. I've only been registered since January, so mm. um, I don't know. This might be a whole new experience it for could, you then. You yeah. could start going to concerts and yeah. actually experience all these nice but we things. Do, we do love to go as a family to things like the Panto and stuff like that. Yeah. So we just make sure we get seats. And I love to go to like the West End and go to watch shows and stuff like that. Yeah. But we just make sure that we go to like real, you know, the kind of front seat tickets. Have you booked the Panto for this year? Yeah. The Pavilion? Yeah. yeah. Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. yeah. So I've just booked that as well for the family. I got a week before Christmas. I like to go just before Christmas. It's yeah. quite nice, isn't it? We go on the 23rd. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. That's really exciting. So let's talk about then, we've talked about school a lot when you were younger. So when you got older, you said that you've always been quite good at speaking out about it, which is really good, making people aware of the condition so you can get that support. Have you had any discrimination, though, when you've gone into the workplace, when you've spoken out about it? How easy do you find working with people and getting that help yeah so work's a kind of difficult thing so just a bit of history so I was a I've kind of gone through the insurance uh, route in terms of career Mm. but I've done different things so I've worked in like a claims department and then moving on from that I then decided I kind of wanted to do software testing and then from software testing that kind of led me into looking at accessibility and because of my eye condition I was kind of you know a it really got my um, interest. Mm. So I've learned a lot over the last couple of years about not just people with visual impairments, but hearing impairments, neurological issues, people with dyslexia, dyspraxia, mobility. And so I've learned so much about accessibility that I'm now so aware that we don't follow it in businesses in businesses at all. Mm. You look at websites, the majority of websites aren't accessible to people. And in the workplace, I found that We might be working towards an accessible website. What are we doing for our colleagues? Mm -hmm. And I've come across a few people where they'll send out presentations and the font is tiny. They've got yellow and red on the like background together, like blues and greens next to each other. Mm -hmm. And I just can't see them or read them. Mm -hmm. So I have to kind of make people aware. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. And it's not their fault. They just don't know. But it's really about educating people about you know, accessibility. And I think that kind of starts from a school point of view, but I think businesses need to start putting in more place, more things in, in place to say, mm. you know, if you're having um, an event or a meeting, which people have got really good at saying, um, have you got any dietary requirements? People know yeah. to say that now. Yes. Yeah. Do you need any extra, um, you know, accessibility kind of requirements before you come in? Do you need to be sat at the front? Do you need to make printed out in large font? Those are the kind of things it should be standard. Mm-hmm. And I think meetings are a bit better, but people forget when we're working from home on Teams and they're doing presentation yeah. of what they've got on their screen. I have to say, I probably like eight, nine times out of ten, can you make it bigger, please? Yeah. Because they just, yeah, so. That's really difficult, isn't it? Like you say, like it, we're so used to asking about dietary requirements, aren't mm-hmm. we? So we need to get into those habits. And it's all about education and training from the beginning. So people are aware of 
making these adaptations I recently um, started working with a lady that's deaf Mm. and she was on teams and whilst you've got captions on teams we're actually working on trying to get a signer so that we've got somebody in the business that when we're on teams that she can actually be on a call and have somebody sign to her while we're doing it so because I'm part of like an ability network at work so the the business that I work for is, is really trying to kind of push forwards so it's great from all aspects yeah but there are colleagues that just you know people are busy they just don't take it in if, mm. if, if you're not in the middle of something I don't think you necessarily always think about those around you yeah so. do you think there's a fair hiring process in the workplace for people with disabilities I think there is now I've been really lucky that um and I think again it's all down to character and personality mm. you don't have to shout loudest you just have to make people aware and as long as you're confident and you know what your adaptions are and what you need to do I think you can kind of thrive and go where you need to go I haven't felt any personal kind of discrimination, discrimination. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's because I'm quite open about it and I'll say, I can't read that. Can you send it to me in a bigger font? Or Yeah. So in terms of like job application forms, would you have to say, oh, can you make it bigger and things like that? Again, that's another really hard one. So previously, up until January, I wasn't able to declare that I had a disability because I wasn't right. di- wasn't registered. Yeah. So I just made everybody clear in, in the interview that I have my adaptions, I know what I need. So it doesn't affect anything to do with my job. I can mm. still do a job just as well as a sighted person. Yeah. So, yeah. But now I can put that I have a vision impairment. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. So, yeah. So your company is LV. That's who you work for. So tell us about that role that encourages the inclusion and the diversity within the company. How does that work? So when I was a software tester and um, I basically, I went on a course for accessibility mm-hmm. um, and that's what kind of sparked my, oh, hang on, you know, this is a really good area for me to get into. Mm-hmm. So I came away from that course and started learning about accessibility and all the different standards that were required for websites and things like that. And then I moved into becoming so knowledgeable that I worked with the business analysts and helped them write the business requirements so mm-hmm. that whatever website we create or whatever adaptions we do to our existing websites, we're always accessible. And then from that, I was then asked to become a subject matter expert. So SME in, in the kind of business terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am the kind of go-to now for anybody with any issues or any colleagues that are struggling. If the business have questions about a new website or a new component they're wanting to add, I can kind of give them guidance. I did it yesterday. We've got some, so I've moved away from software testing yeah, um, and into a different okay. role. Mm-hmm. So I was asked yesterday to give some training to um, one of our testers on accessibility and how to test it and what tools we use. Mm-hmm. So um, I've learned how to use screen readers um, and how we can use those within the business, as well as other tools which should help me look at contrast and colour things and dyspraxia and dyslexia there's so many tools out there for people to use it's really good yes amazing Um, so yeah that's how I became a SME yeah that's really fantastic so Gemma do you feel your SME role can now help people better integrate into the workplace and to make it more accessible yeah I definitely think um and as a business we've become really um diverse and inclusive so we've got a whole D&I like diversity and inclusion mm. um department and they're they're not just working on people with disabilities but they're also working with different ethnic groups and we're looking at kind of like one generation so people you know identifying as different um genders and neurodiversity and things like that so 
we are working massively as a big company and there's things I think that are in place now where we don't ask certain questions so that we can't I don't even think we have people's names on CVs so that we aren't discriminating in any way right. against anything yeah um, and it doesn't have to be about a disability anymore it's about anything mm. you are being employed because of your qualifications mm. and your ability to do the job nothing to do with anything else to do with you yeah well you're just as capable and competent as a sighted person or someone without yeah. a disability so it's yeah. about making those changes and adapting that yeah. environment mm-hmm. it's not about adapting the person it's about no, adapting exactly. the environment so everyone's got a fair playing field yeah and um, from my point of view that there are some people within the business that um, are completely blind in, in right. our business yeah. and they are provided with support they're provided with tools to help them mm. we have screen magnifiers we have screen readers we've got all these different tools and technology that we can help them do their jobs so yeah it's getting really good in yeah, terms of like... Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, there's, there's so much opportunity out there. Sounds um, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Gemma, so if there's someone listening who needs advice with their site, or if they are looking for a support group, what charities or support websites would you direct people to? Um, so the RNIB are a brilliant um, charity that work. Um, they've actually helped me loads over the mm. years. So they're really good um, for any questions or anything like that. Personally, living where we do, we've got the Dorset Blind Association. So they have um, some local shops and they help as well. And, and they kind of give you tools as well. So like white sticks, if you need a white stick and things like that. So that's yeah. really good. They're really good. There's also a couple of like kind of wider ones as well. What's the eye organisation? The Centre for Sight UK. Yeah, that's it. The yeah. Centre for Sight UK. There's lots of different... Yeah, Did Katie Piper had an eye operation there, didn't she, mm-hmm. recently, to rectify something? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think she's lost most of her sight in one of her eyes. Yeah. And then there's the hashtag, love your eyes. Um, you can show support for blindness and visual impairment if you use that hashtag. Um, going back to the cane, you said about having that as a tool from the charity shop. Mm-hmm. Do you need to use a cane? So the cane has got your different uses, um, Mm. and I didn't know this until recently, but it's not just a cane with one of the knobs on the the end that you kind of use when you are literally like trying to navigate around. But there's also the cane that you can just kind of carry, and that's to make other people aware. Mm -hmm. Um, So other people know that you've got maybe a a visual disability. So there things like buses, the bus driver is more likely to stop. Okay. If you've got a white cane in your hand, yeah. whereas I can't see the bus numbers. So if I'm by myself and I'm trying to get, I have to flag every bus. And I've had experiences where bus drivers haven't been very happy that I've stopped them and they're not needed them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's there's different uses. So they're really good. And things like people don't realise under the traffic lights. And this was a discussion that came up that I saw on social media the other day. People didn't uh, aren't aware that there's actually a spinny button for blind people right. under the traffic lights. So if you press the button yeah. when the green man comes on, for those that are either colourblind or can't see, there's a spinny button that goes underneath and it spins and that's when the green man's on. Wow. Excited people listening to this podcast, Gemma, isn't there? And we're going to both urge you to prioritise your eye health. You can get free eye tests and glasses on the NHS if you're eligible. And if not, you can look out for special offer. I think Specsavers do £10 offers sometimes yeah, for eye tests. Yeah, there's every now and again. Yeah, so we need to make sure we keep up with those. So how do you stay so positive about your visual impairment? I think because I've always had it, I've, I've just it's just something I've had to adapt to. Mm. I'm really lucky that I've got a really supportive family and friends that kind of have always guided me and, and helped me. And, you know, I've got, I've got friends that um, if we go for a, a trip somewhere, they'll say, step, 
door window like they'll just they yeah. just know automatically mm. so I don't feel like I kind of I struggle because mm. I've always got that support so I'm just really lucky that I've got that but also it's just about you know being open and honest with people yeah. and that people are you know they are going to help you they just need to know that you've got that condition so like, they're educated and aware yeah, of it and yeah they can so, make those adaptations yeah exactly so you know it's a case of just you just have to be positive. This is the life I've been given. I'm really lucky that I have, you know, I've got the abilities that I've got. So mm. I just, I live with it and, and move forward daily. That's very inspiring, Gemma. Finally, what message would you give to listeners, whether they are blind, visually impaired, sighted people, or people with any other disabilities who would like to self-advocate like you do? What advice would you give? I think it's just about education, just kind of look into things a little bit more, see what's out there, see what's available. You know, for a sighted person, and the NVDA, which is a screen reader, you can download for free. It's just on Google, just Google NVDA and have a play around and just kind of experience what it's like as a a person with sight loss. And just that will give you a kind of an idea of of, of what it's like to kind of live on a daily basis with it. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's just educate yourself if you can and just be aware of people around you. And, and you know, sight loss is a really difficult thing to kind of see because mm-hmm. you can't. So yeah. other people, you know, if you met me, you didn't know that I had an eye condition. Whereas, yeah. you know, if I was in a wheelchair, that you would maybe approach me slightly differently. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just be, be aware that not every disability is visible. Mm. Very well said. Thank you so much for coming on today, Gemma. It's been a pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing and I'm sure I will see you soon on the school run or maybe at our next theatre trip. You never know. <laughs> thank so, you for having me. Yeah, Thanks, it's Gemma. Been, it's been really good. Thank you. It's lovely. Thank you. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you haven't already, please follow Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories on the podcast platform of your choice. And don't forget to share on the socials if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.